1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy.
2: Fall guy. That's what the poster said.
1: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because
2: nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right
1: now. What are you into? Talking.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. at PG-13.
3: Back, back, run like a wild man. I want you to struggle
1: and I want you to wrestle with them angels.
2: So where he is. from Auburn University, Bo Jackson. <laughs> The corrector near stadium time is 8.30 on the dot, Central Standard Time. It's still daylight time but again. I'm the script. Your digital audio device is tuned in the Orange and True podcast, harbored by college and magnolia.com. Greetings and salutations, Orange and Truthers. I am Drew Croson at Crow 2 on Twitter, at Crow on Binmo. coming to you live from the nurturing confines of the Republic of Texas. To one side of me, the uh, the magic of the internet, is Ryan Sterrett at Ryan S. Sterrett. The S is for staying at home. Yep. Yeah. The other side of me giving you—that's uh, all I got. That's It's good dynamite. The other side of me giving you full Fort Payne ASMR from Auburn, Alabama. Points unknown. The AU Chief.
4: Sixty minutes. That's what the S is for. That's what the S. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the S have been for
2: 60 Minutes. Dang. <laughs> All right. That's the uh, AU Chief. Also joining us today on a somber podcast. Somber as a nation for other reasons. Somber as an Auburn nation for one reason. Uh, the passing of the great Pat Dye. And joining us to give some perspective on that is Josh Black and James Jones. Gentlemen, how All are you? Good so um, let's see for me as I've spoken about a lot on this platform my sports Auburn sports consciousness did not begin until 2000, and 2000 yeah about 2001 when my brother went to college at Auburn so I didn't I had no no idea who Pat Dye was and I didn't really know anything about Pat Dye until I came to Auburn in 04 Ryan, he is 12 years old, so he doesn't know anything about Pat Dye either. <laughs> yeah, Pat Dye is
4: uh, yeah, he was just like Shug to me. I mean, he was just somebody from the before time. I don't know.
2: Ryan is probably as far away from Pat Dye being the coach. Ryan's tenure at Auburn is as far from Pat Dye being the coach probably as mine is from Doug Barfield. Yeah, easily. Which is a wild thought. Maybe more. Yeah. Good Lord, Ryan. More. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and then, Chief, you probably know a little bit about the Pat Dye era, maybe you have some recollection, but Josh and James, I know, sat through some seats, sat, sat through some Pat Dye games, perhaps. Yep. Absolutely. So, James, when you first saw that Coach Pat Dye had passed, what did you, what was your thought?
0: You knew, you knew it was a, possibility after him being diagnosed with COVID obviously kidney problems he had done some hard living um, and and being 80 years old it was always a possibility but it seemed like he had gotten through the worst of that and then uh, as it has with so many people it, it just kind of came on suddenly and it, it seems like just kind of the capper on the a 2020 that's not even halfway over yet, um, and and then since then it's just been remembering what he stood for and what he brought for us. Yep.
2: Now, what would you say that is, James? Like, if you could say what what does Pat Dye mean to you as a coach?
0: Pat Dye is the reason Auburn is what it is today. Uh, you think about not just football. But he was athletic director from 81 to 92 as well, as well as being the, uh, I I think until 92, but as well as being the football coach, he was athletic director. So he hired Sonny Smith. He hired Hal Baird. Um, He hired Joe Champy. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that those are, in their respective sports, the some of the best coaches that Auburn's ever had. Uh in basketball, you could argue Bruce or Joel Eaves, but I mean Sonny's right there with them. Baseball, it's it's how Baird's close to the top, if if not the top. And and Joe is still the the standard in the women's game in women's basketball. So and so Pat was responsible for all of that.
4: Hired David March for the swim team too.
0: That's true. Yeah, true. you're absolutely right. So when you take all of that into a, into effect, his effect on Auburn is substantial. Then you throw in football, which is what pays the bills. And he took Auburn from – I can't even describe how far down Auburn was as a program in the 80s. Um my dad would do, and I've been told this afterwards because I, I was born in 84, but my dad would do impressions of Doug Barfield and, uh, <laughs> coach, what are you going to do this year? Lose again.
1: <laughs> um,
0: and I think it, nothing, it, you know, kind of the symbol of it more than anything else, you had in 1980, Auburn played Tennessee at home, opening up, you know, there's the first big game after the... West upper deck was added if I'm if I've got my directions right. Uh, after the West upper deck was added, Tennessee comes to town and beats Auburn 42 to nothing. To date, it's now tied for the worst loss at home in Auburn history with the Texas A&M game in 2012. Mm. But it's still tied all these years later. Um, that you lose that game 42 to nothing one year later in Knoxville coach Dye takes a team that didn't have any more talent problem might even be less talent up to Knoxville and loses 10 to 7 in a game that Auburn had the ball in Tennessee territory at the end they had a chance to win that game and that's where the famous uh, quote about it you know if you lay your guts on the line. You may come away empty handed, but you just got to lay them on the line again and again. That's where that came from. And I think that contrast is the best description of what, uh, of the change of what Pat Dye brought to Auburn. Amen.
2: That's that's probably my favorite Pat Dye YouTube clip is that one. And I wish James would start, uh, James, I wish Jack would start the show with that this time. As much as I love the wrestling with them angels quote, the laying, on, laying the guts on the line again and again, with his accent, is the most perfect Auburn sentiment there has ever been. Yep. Josh, what about you? Like, we, you, and I have had this conversation a million times about best Auburn coach versus most important Auburn coach. Aren't the same conversation, but because most important Auburn coach is Pat Dye, he's also the best. Uh,
1: my reaction today. Um, When I got the news, the only thought I had was, I can't let my dad find out about this by anybody else. Um, The reason why I felt that way was because um, outside of my dad and my grandfather, I don't think there's a more... um, I don't think there's another person who's influenced why I love Auburn more than Coach Dye. Um, Coach Dye is easily the best coach we've ever had despite getting screwed out of not winning a national championship in 1983 despite not having as many wins as coach jordan and despite being tied for as many wins as mike donahue um if you look at you know it's easy to say 12 years because 90 through 92 are in there and uh you know they have to be accounted for but we had a cloud around us in ninety one. That was his second losing season after eighty one, and it was because of the scandal that I don't have any problem touching on. In ninety two, everybody knew Coach Dye was gonna end up having to step aside and things just fell apart even though the team kept playing hard for him. But if you just look at the stretch from eighty one until eighty nine, um I think people need to understand the mindset of Auburn when coach Dye got there in 81. And the closest thing I can compare it to is if you will remember what it was like going into the Georgia game in 2012, after we got beat by 42 points, Texas A&M, remember how defeated it was coming out of that game. when We got shut out 38 to nothing, knowing that we still had to go to Tuscaloosa. We were, winless in the sec and doug barfields last year the so last time that had happened before 2012 okay so add on the way you felt in 2012 in november of that year add on to that that your biggest rival had beaten you when coach Dodd got there eight years in a row at that time and their head football coach who's the greatest in the history of the sport has gotten 314 wins and they're going to shoot for getting his 315th record-setting win at Legion Field when they play Auburn. So imagine when your head coach of a team that was a 500-ball club at the time, they were 5-5, five and five, goes up to midfield to a guy who he'd worked for for nine years, and for all that we can dis- disparage about Alabama, Coach Dye had a lot of respect for Coach Bryant, looked at him dead in the eye and said, Coach, we're fixing to take it to your team's ass. <laughs> and Coach Bryant said, are you trying to scare me? He said, no, I'm just fixing – I'm telling you what we're fixing to do. And that was a four-quarter football game that we got beat 28-17, but there was something different in the air. What Coach Dye did in that year and in the next year was instill hope in Auburn. And the second time that he instilled hope that we were climbing a mountain was when Herschel Walker and Georgia came to town and they left that game victors, but they left that game uh, in a much closer fault game in Jordan-Hare Stadium than they ever expected to come into. And you could tell that something, the proverbial tide, I hate saying a pun like that, but the proverbial tide was changing. And that all came to fruition when Bo Jackson went over the top of the goal line at Legion Field two weeks later in Birmingham. Uh, Jim Fife later said that Coach Dye told him before the game, he looked at him dead in the eye, real serious, and said, "There's fixing to be a bloodletting in Birmingham next week," <laughs> and Jim Fife, Jim Fife just, whoo, his, you know, it kind of chills went up his spine. And we got across him. We got to the top of a mountain that we hadn't been to in a long time. And if that had if that had been all that Pat Dye did was start beating Alabama with regularity, he'd be a hero. But Coach Dye the next year took us to national prominence in a season where we deservedly should be national champions. And I was very glad to read today that we actually had a national championship trophy made for that team. And it sat in coach Dye's home and they gave that team national championship rings at their reunion last year. They deserve it. So he wins the conference championship. And to this, I, I, I remember vividly from the one time I had a serious conversation with him, he kicked himself over 84 and 85 because he knew good and well that we were a better football team than we played that year, but he got rid of the wishbone after '85, put us back to work, and what happens? But you know, '86 comes around, and I think we lost. I think it was either two or three football games, but I think we lost. Yeah, two games, but we lost them by combined like what was it, James, four or
0: five points? I mean, it was something uh, insane. Yeah, Close. lost lost by one to Florida, uh, and lost, and lost to by Georgia. Four to Georgia. Yeah. yeah. So yet you, you lost two
1: games by a total of five points. And then he rings off three straight SEC championships. If it was just for that, he'd be the greatest coach in our history. But in addition to that, you have to think about what the state was at the time of losing coach Bryant and the icon and the power figure that he was. And coach died, no one how they worked over there, knowing their inner workings, whether you want to call that how they uh, managed to get such successful players or (laughs) what have you. Uh, Coach Dye knew the secret to their success, and he took what they had and he brought it to Auburn, and it drove them crazy. And he looked them dead in the eye with a lot of people that he was on the same sideline with in the 70s and was able to, not with intimidation, but with – loving on them, shaking their hands, hugging Steve Sloan, Alabama's AD at the time, broke them down and got them to commit to coming to Auburn. And if you really want to talk about the legacy of Coach Dye, college football, Auburn University, and the University of Alabama on the home campus each year, that all is due to Coach Dye. You know, you see far less neutral site rivalries now. I mean, outside of, you know, Oklahoma and Texas and Florida, Georgia, I can't think of any. And you've seen, you know, local economies and stadiums expand because of that. And truly, um, for us, we have something every other year on the last weekend in November where we know whether we're the better team or not, Alabama's fixing to get their ass kicked because they're playing in Jordan-Hare Stadium. And they they never had to experience anything like that and never would without Pat Dye. And there's no more instrumental figure in the history of our program. I said this on Twitter, and I mean it. I, I truly believe Coach Jordan taught us what it meant to be an Auburn man. And I think that, to this day, Pat Sullivan is one of the greatest examples of what an Auburn man is. But Coach Dye showed us what an Auburn man's potential is and that it's limitless. And, you know, in my one real conversation with him, which was, you know, amazing, it was the the night of the national championship after the game in the hotel lobby at the Phoenician, where the media hotel was, and he was staying. Uh, He flat told us, he said, I got us to the river's edge several times, but I couldn't cross it. But boys, tonight we crossed it. And he just had this big (laughs) grin on his face as he was sipping his whiskey. And I... I think people who, unfortunately, never got to live through that era, um, you know, it's easy to say you need to pay your respects to the past, but everything that Auburn University has, every good memory that you have as a student of what Jordan-Hare Stadium is, uh, what you love about Auburn football, the good memories that you've experienced, they're because of Pat Dye.
2: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. That's a good word. Chief, do you have anything you want to add about like when you think about Pat that What do you think of?
3: I just think of his voice, man. It's it's he's got a unique voice. He sounds like everybody's South Alabama granddad is what he sounds like, uh, and I I just love hearing him talk. Anytime he talked, just listen because it was just that slow southern draw, and and he never. He always had a purpose to what he was saying, usually, unless he'd had a little too much of his uh, favorite whiskey. But even then, he was funny. Uh, I, you know, I I became an Auburn fan uh, at the end. Uh, in, in 1992 is I, pretty much when I pledged my allegiance to Auburn, and that, that was sort of the end uh, or that was the end of the, uh, of Pat Dye. And and I remember all that. I, I remember, <laughs> I remember being sad for no real reason other than, Oh man, this stinks. There's the coaches leaving or whatever. My mom had to explain to me what had happened. Um, but it's my experience with Pat Dye is, is just was going back and, and watching things on YouTube, watching old games. Um, And, and like I said, just listening to him, I, I, I I wonder if that's most people around our ages memories of him are, are just hearing him talk. Um, and, and the thing I also think of is how he was gone from the program for five years, six years, I think, um, because of some things inside the athletic department, um, that it happened um, and he, he was gone and it was great to have, have him back when Gene Chiswick became head coach. Um, and, and he had a lot to do with that um, as I'm sure Josh could tell us all uh, that he had a lot. To, he was, he liked coach Chizik. He had a, it wasn't, it's not the Machiavellian string pulling that Paul Feinbaum or somebody wants to say, coach die had within the program but he had influence i mean he's the he's the guy that built the program you're gonna listen to the guy um and i just i I was just so glad to have him back at that point and and not have to only listen to him on a a coach's show with gene stallings (laughs) uh sponsored by crane works (laughs) funny enough i think of crane works whenever i think of coach die too but uh well you know paul you need a crane yes yes oh man but yeah Co- coach dies uh uh i mean i i don't i can't say anything more than than josh said his importance to this program and and the state you you have to think i, I don't alabama doesn't get nick saban without coach die because they don't have that stadium they they don't have on campus stadium like they have when when they hired Saban, it wasn't as nice then as it is now, but without that they don't they don't he's not coming there to play all his games up in Birmingham, um, to in a just complete crap hole like you kidding me, so you know I think the the whole state and I hate to do that whole well, it's good for the state but I mean honestly he like Josh said what he did getting those games on campuses changed the landscape uh, of college football. And, and he's, he's not just an Auburn legend. He he's a college football legend. He's, he's, he, he meant a lot to college football and uh, hopefully the more time that goes by, the less the stupid probation stuff and, and the way he had to leave here matters to people. Um, You know, I, you know, there's always going to be some people that'll, that'll always matter to them, but it doesn't matter to me. He, he, that was, that was college football then too.
0: And I I think it's something that if that exact same scenario happened today, the, the current college football, Twitter reaction to it is completely the opposite of what happened. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's quite literally the, a kid was trying to feed his family and they wanted to yeah. make sure they, I mean, he had a young kid. Now I have my issues with uh, Eric Ramsey and his wife. And if yeah. anybody's ever seen the uh, video of the uh, hall of fame bowl game, I, I sincerely doubt that his son's given name is Eric Ahmad Rashad Ramsey.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's just the way his wife was, but <laughs> At the end of the day, that's what that's what brought Pat Dye down was making sure a kid could could feed his family, and then he was keeping recordings of it just in case he never made it in the prose, which
1: tells yeah. you something well, about his
0: character. And the attorney
1: who's now in jail, Donald Watkins, who represented <laughs> Eric Ramsey, I, I've I, I've got a. This could be a conspiracy theory, but I, I believe that taking that game out of Birmingham, I think there was an agenda against Coach that to get him
0: for it.
3: It's exactly what I was going to say. If if he doesn't whip Alabama's ass so many times and get that game moved out of Birmingham, that none of that ever comes to light. None of There,
1: there was, there was a price to be paid for it. Um, but you know what? I I'll say this about that time, and I'll say this because. Uh, A couple of his former players are very close uh, to me and my family, two of them being Ben Tambrello and Chet Williams. Um, Coach Dye loved his players. You know, the guy had a lot of flaws, and I'm sure that there's some flaws that if you get close to his family, you you may not want to find out about all of them. But there's no questioning that Coach Dye was a player's coach and loved his players. You know, when I hear Ben Tamburello texting me today saying, outside of my father, nobody's had a greater influence on my life than Pat Dye. When I think about the fact that Chet Williams uh, got into trouble and Coach Dye threw him off the team, he goes into his dorm room that night and his teammate Kyle Collins prays the sinner's prayer with him and he accepts Christ into his life. Chet goes into Coach Dye's office the next day to tell him that, and Coach Dye tells him, let's just take it one day at a time and gives him a chance and all of the players that have benefited from that. That's what I think Pat Dye's legacy is. But when I think of the Eric Ramsey situation, um, I think of a guy who we were probably doing what everybody else was doing. But in that case, I do think that Coach Dye was thinking, we got to try and help this kid. He's struggling. He's got a kid. You know, we got to do what we can to take care of him. And there's a genuineness to that that NCAA rules don't allow. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make you a sinner to try and do the right thing for somebody else. It just makes you a rule breaker. And um, I'll never fault Pat Dye for trying to take care of one of his players and trying to do the right thing by helping them when they honestly needed the help. I fault the player for how they responded to it by turning their back on him. And that's what hurts so much about it. Coach Dye got betrayed for, uh, by a player when he cared about that play here.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what he never did? He never
1: complained about it. You never heard him go off on Eric Ramsey after he got fired. That's true. He spit in the dirt and move it on.
3: Yep.
2: So I don't know if you guys have watched the uh, the ESPN like <clears throat> 150 years – of college football documentary they did it's all right but uh Pat Dye's in, in it quite a bit especially the section they did about football in the south um and he talks about like you know growing up a sharecropper's son and i think you know it cannot be overstated how pat dye's background of literally being dirt poor to being the head coach at auburn played into his ability to Relate to, and reach out to the college football player in the southeast. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing thing. You don't see that a lot. Like even like Gus right now, Auburn's got a coach who started out as a chemistry teacher or whatever, and now is the head coach at Auburn making (laughs) whatever five million a year. Whereas now that seems crazy, but it's even crazier to think of a kid who grew up literally dirt poor as the son of a sharecropper that grew up. To be the guy who got the Auburn now, they have a game moved to Auburn every other yep. year—that's an amazing story.
1: Absolutely, he was famous for saying that. You know, while he grew up in a different environment than an inner-city uh, black kid may have, that he knew how to connect with them because he grew up poor, um, and he understood hard work, and he knew how to and he knew how to motivate somebody that grew up poor who knew that they had to fight, scratch, and claw for everything that they had. And, I mean, everything about it was just – his time at Auburn was right place, right time, right person. And it is truly that attitude has shaped our identity.
3: Yeah. And we haven't even talked about how he, you know, brought maybe one of the greatest all-around athletes of all time – not maybe, one of the greatest all-around athletes of all time to Auburn, Bo Jackson – uh, I mean that, that was, was, that was um,
4: high praise for Tracy Rocker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and
0: Frank, and Frank
2: Thomas.
4: Not,
0: not just yeah, not yeah, just Bo, break. but I mean he re- he half recruited Frank Thomas. Of course, Frank mm-hmm. Thomas, being the great baseball player he was, Hal Baird had something in that too. But Coach yeah you know, he won a football scholarship. That's right.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's uh, a yeah. that's what happens when you got your uh, football coaches, your AD, to make some <laughs> things happen for you. Yeah
0: keep things a little easier for you. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and like I said earlier, hiring Sonny Smith and bringing in and that brought in Charles Barkley. Yeah. Um, so while he was a D some of the greatest <laughs> athletes in Auburn history came through and, in Bo Charles and Frank Thomas, Vicki or Ruthie Bolton, Rowdy Gaines and, believe would have been through there so Hall of Famers man absolutely Um, quite literally the only SEC player in the Hall of Fame is Frank Thomas
2: yeah which is yeah yeah. and maybe forever because Raphael and Will Clark might not ever get him howdy might.
4: no Eh, Braves Hall of (laughs)
3: Fame
2: the Braves Hall of Fame
1: Let's let's not. And James, to to your point and also chief to yours about Bo, you know, Bo was Bo was a really hot target between Auburn and Alabama. But he wasn't widely recruited outside the state because it was widely known he wanted to stay close to home. And so Bo was not as high profile of a recruit as another guy that he signed in Ben Tambrello. Ben Tambrello was coveted by most every program in the South, and grew up an Alabama fan. And uh, God bless him, Ben's a friend, and also uh, sold my last house for me and helped me buy this one. <laughs> He's a great realtor if you're interested in the Birmingham area. Um, but Ben, Ben's told me, and this story has been documented several times, how Coach Bryant came to his house, and Ben sat there next to his mom on the couch, and Coach Bryant the chair next to him, and Ben just had it his head in his hands crying his eyes out because he had to tell coach Bryant, no, he's going off because coach Dye had that kind of an impact. And that just as much as coach Bryant's age and health problems was what drove him to finally make the decision that if he can't get the kids that grew up wanting to come to Alabama, to come there, then, you know, this thing has shifted Hmm. and, you know, that's the kind of recruiter he was, and 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 the kind of the kind of guy he was he was as
0: a force in that early on in his tenure. Yeah, yeah. All right, and so. even to the end, Pat Dyer, uh, Stan White grew up Alabama fan his entire life, and Pat Dye got him to to come to Auburn and and finish with an undefeated season in '93. Pat Dye, Pat Dye laid that pipeline to Dillard High School. <laughs> that's true too yeah, yes the, sir the, the 93 team does not happen and really 94 going 9-1-1 I mean that was 20 wins out of 22 games in two years and none of that happens without Pat yeah. Dye
4: yeah
3: absolutely
0: not
4: you can say well, let me ask you guys that, uh, we won the Iron Bowl this year You uh, recruited Pat Nix we get Bo Nix we beat Alabama in 2019 <laughs> Were they recruiting guys,
3: juniors back then?
2: I'm only calling him bonics, <laughs> by the way. I'm I'm now I'm calling bonix bonix from here on out. Bonics.
4: No, Pat Pat Nix was no. here in ninety two. So oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Right. Coach, Coach Dye signed Pat Nix. Yeah.
1: Signed Damian Craig too, if I'm not mistaken, right? He
4: would have recruited in ninety three. Yeah. He,
1: rec- yeah, he so recruited him
0: for sure.
1: Yeah. If Coach Dye if if Eric Ramsey never happens, I've long of the belief, because I'll give Terry Bowden credit for one thing. I think Terry Bowden was one hell of a play caller. Yeah. Uh, much thanks to Tommy Bowden's brother, who was already on staff at Auburn under Coach Dy in '92. Yep. If Coach Dye does not get fired, does he finally take us to the promised land, or are we in a situation because of Spurrier and because of Nebraska? Where, I mean, what what's what's the end story here? Because I have a theory on this. What What do y'all?
4: Well, it's surprising to me that, you know, I, when I heard he passed today, I, I kind of figured he was probably pushing ninety, not eighty. Nice. So doing the backwards math in my head, I didn't realize he was barely into his fifties. He essentially 53 retired when he when he stepped down, fifty three oh, yeah. years old. By the way, so Gus, I mean, how long 50. would he have been at Auburn? I was about to say, Gus is older than he is. He right. was.
2: This is part of my theory he of people in the people in the eighties and seventies. Yeah, people in the 70s and 80s looked so much older than they do now. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look well, how old Bear Bryant bigger. looks in those photos and realize that I think Nick Saban's older now than Bear Bryant oh, he, was when he, he retired. He,
3: he is. absolutely is.
2: And Bear Bryant looks like he was yeah. a corpse walking around the sideline for some of those games.
3: Yeah. He, he he looked like a corpse for a good last 20 years of his life. So. Chief, I mean, I'll do this for you. When Coach
1: <laughs> Bryant coached his last game in the Liberty Bowl, he was 69 years
2: old. Nice. this is part of my uh this is a game i play of jerry jones or who's older jerry jones or this other person and like jerry jones is older than pat dye Mm -hmm. and is the same age as jimmy johnson so jimmy johnson doesn't look old at all but but yeah so look jimmy johnson's older than pat dye
1: so does coach Dye get us to the promised land james in your opinion
0: with what Spurrier was building unless he completely, and he was, he, he, I will say this. He saw the path that football was taking when he hired Tommy Bowden. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. If he completely lets go of, you know, you run the ball, you stop the run, you got to be sound in the kicking game. If he lets go of that, there's a possibility sometime between 93, 94, 95 that we get there. Um, but at that same time, you're running into an absolute buzzsaw in Nebraska if you do get there. And with yeah, I, with what Nebraska know. had at that time, I, I don't see that happening, especially considering what they did to a,
3: a really talented Florida team in 95. Right. Chief? Yeah, I think, I think that's about the same. It, it's – Guys, just it's hard to those those Nebraska teams were ridiculous. And the Florida teams were hard to play like who knows if he gets it done against them. I you know, I don't know.
4: But when you got Tennessee coming to power yeah. mid nineties too. I was gonna say the same thing. And
3: and that's what I want to
1: touch on. Rodney Garner was an assistant coach under Terry Bowden until Terry fired him and Wayne Haller, defensive coordinator. Rodney Amen. Garner went to Tennessee yep. and signed a quarterback out of Mobile by the name of T Martin. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think somewhere in '96 to '98, he may have he may have had his shot. Yeah, I really do believe that. And then he'd
2: still be our coach.
3: <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, Look, he'd be I our understand. Bill Snyder man. If he if he takes the promised land, he's here as long as. If he, he wins, if he wins '83, '93,
2: be... and '98, he's he's still here.
4: All he has to the do is the get, the get to only be seventy time. to coach Cam Newton at Auburn. <laughs> The only time that Pat
1: Dye tried to get another job after he left Auburn was in 2001 after Georgia fired Jim Donnan. He threw his name into the ringer for like a hot second for that job, and they were like, no, no, man, you've been out of the game for 10 years.
2: Yeah.
4: Could you imagine if someone hired him? He still
1: thought he had something in him at that point. I mean, he at least considered it.
2: That's like Herm Edwards getting hired after 10 years out
4: but he would yeah. have only been 62, 63. Right. 61 yeah. in 2001. <laughs> he he's not that old. He's younger than Nick Saban today. Yeah.
3: Man alive. Okay. He's right. done
0: some uh, he did some hard living though. Right. Just he's he is not eating a, a turkey salad for lunch every single day. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's a good point, James, and I, I,
1: I, as much as I hate the way that it ended at Auburn for Coach Dye in 92, I don't think Coach Dye lives to 80 if if he doesn't end at 52 or 3 or whenever he got done. I think uh, that uh, it right. saved his life. I really do. I think that the stress of that, it finally got to a point because his liver was acting up on him for some strange reason. <laughs> mean. Um, I, I, I think that I think that Coach died getting out of coaching is why we were able to enjoy him for so long after that.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, well okay. Got, Let they me they ask they you guys this question.
4: Oh, go ahead, girl.
2: I was going to ask Josh and James, "What was your favorite?" Josh first. What was your favorite game you remember in attendance that Pat died was the coach. Nineteen ninety,
1: Florida State that completion that Stan White had on fourth down and kicking that game winning field goal after we had the most unbelievable sack on fourth down of uh uh oh gosh that Florida State quarterback's first name is Casey Weldon I was about to say something Weldon we sat Casey Weldon on fourth down they tripped about 10 yards backwards to put us in field uh, decent field position Stan White still needed to get us a first down we We didn't we did nothing on the first three downs. And then on fourth down, Stan White has what was the best throw of his career until nineteen ninety three, in my opinion. Um as a true freshman, and we kick a game winning field goal to beat Florida State in one of the wildest games I've ever
0: seen in Jordan Hare Stadium to this day.
2: (laughs) All right, James, Uh, same question.
0: Yeah, for me, it's the first one I remember, and it's Florida in eighty nine. Um and I probably told, I think I've told this on Twitter a few times, but there were games I went to before then that I didn't really remember. them. And some, for some reason, this is the first one I remember. And I was just asking the whole game, how many points do we have? How many points do we have? How many points? And it was always zero. Um, and then finally, uh, I asked my dad how many points we have. We got three. All right. How many do they have? Seven. Crap. And And that was how it went. And, you know, gosh, just 31 years later, but there's not, not a lot I remember, but I remember that stadium absolutely coming unglued as Shane Watson catches at a game-winning touchdown pass on fourth and 10. Because for some reason, I mean, it was, it was the simplest play. Auburn ran four verts. It's... It's the schoolyard play. It's the play that made Mike Leach the coach that he is today. It's we got four guys out here. Everybody go deep. And for some reason, Florida didn't cover Shane Watson. I don't know if it was because he's like five nine and white, but <laughs> they didn't cover him. And there's a great picture that you can still find uh, of him kind of tripping over himself as he catches that ball in the end zone. And these it was in the in the northeast corner where the visiting fans are. And you can see all of, it's right in front of the Florida cheerleaders. It's absolutely great. And uh and winning that game meant that Emmett Smith never beat Auburn, it was what kind of catapulted that team onto its third straight sec title. Uh, they had lost to Tennessee earlier in the year. Um, that was the team that had wrestled with them angels. Um, they had squeaked by LSU. They'd lost to Florida state and Tallahassee. Um, they had not looked impressive against Mississippi state, but Florida came to town with a Heisman with an eventual Heisman winner. And, Scored seven points on a short field. Auburn had a turnover very early in the game, and Florida turned it into a touchdown. And but that was all they would score. Um, won that game, uh, won homecoming the next week, uh, beat Georgia and Athens, and then, of course, went in the, the Iron Bowl uh, to. To cause the split title, the three way split between us and Tennessee and Alabama, but that that eighty nine Florida game is the first one I really remember uh, of any of the games that I've been to, and it's probably 100, 120 in that stadium by now, maybe even one hundred and thirty. Uh, I've lost count by now, but that was that's still my favorite uh, of at least of the Coach Die games by far.
1: James, you reminded me of something by saying that because you said Florida, we went on to play homecoming and then Georgia and Alabama. We actually got a break that year because we had a homecoming game. When anybody wants to complain about how hard our schedule is, look, y'all just need to understand something. It's been this way for a long time because if you go back and look in the 80s, we weren't just playing Georgia and Alabama at the end of the year. We're playing Florida. Florida. And then Georgia and then Alabama and Florida's record book may not look like what it was, but Florida on the field, won what was it at least one or, or two SEC championships that got vacated because of cheating. And, I mean, <laughs> at least 84. Our, yeah. I mean, our, our schedule was a murder's row in November and that's after playing Johnny majors, Tennessee at the last weekend of September, usually playing a Georgia tech team who was formidable, even though we always kicked their ass. And then, oh by the way, you're usually scheduling a Bobby Bowden Florida State team that's got a chip on their shoulder. Those schedules in the '80s were insane, and for what Coach Dye did with that was just unbelievable. And I, something you also reminded me of about Emmett Smith, um, I'm not going to out the person that told me this, but the longstanding story has been that Emmett Smith wanted to come to Auburn, but his mother didn't like what he what she was hearing about. Uh, About uh, one of our players who had never learned to read or something like that while he was at Auburn, and that very well may be true about the kid never learned to read while he was there. I mean, but the reason why Emmett Smith didn't get didn't come to Auburn is because Florida had late money and paid him to get to Florida. And why Emmett was so disappointed after that was because he he desperately wanted to come to Auburn, and when he didn't come, he desperately wanted to beat Auburn, and he never got the shot.
3: Hate it for him. Yeah, just yeah. Hate it for him. And I hate to see
2: it. <laughs> I'm not going to hear a lot of Emmett Smith of it, disparity though. on this, disparaging Emmett Smith on this podcast. <laughs> I
0: understand but, uh, And he went know, on to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think about it, though. I mean, if if all, you add him to the '87, '88, '89 teams, I mean, those teams already won the SEC title. They lost four, five games in a span of three years. And one of those was a bowl game.
2: It's my, it's I one of my favorite recruiting. What the
3: the yeah. other thing you have to remember about this point in time is that football in the South, when, when die took over, people look down at fo- football in the South is not thought of like it is now. Um, and and I, I, Coach and I had a lot to do with that, Pull, pulling pulling up the whole reputation of football in the South. Um, it it didn't fully, you know, people didn't fully realize how good it was here until later in the '90s. I would probably say. Um, I mean, and there was Florida. Everybody loved that Florida team because they threw the ball so got dang much in uh, the in the. <laughs> Mid uh, and Steve Spurrier's
2: polo shirts were so sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I, I mean, and they had the big personality of Steve Spurrier. He was, he was fun to. They didn't call him memes back then, but he was fun to meme with the visor and all that stuff. But, but yeah, the, uh, Coach Dye was doing all this and at a time when people didn't think much of football in the South. The SEC was not thought of that well. I don't know. My point was that just to just to point that out. Could
2: you imagine a coach that sounds like Pat Dye in twenty twenty? Like a coach like right now, Ed Orgeron. Coach O O is the closest thing to a coach that just sounds so of his place and time. You know, Coach O really might be. uh,
3: He's a lot like Coach Dye. Um, uh, that, that's
4: it's a long time defensive position coach.
3: Yeah. That this uh, is his dream job. Drink, yeah. yeah. I don't, Auburn wasn't Coach Dyes' dream job. Um, Wyoming was uh, obviously.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Clearly. Uh, uh,
3: but uh, I mean, it became his dream job. I, you know, he loved it more than he loved anywhere else in the world. But, uh, but it just, the way, I mean, just the the personalities of just loving your players, um, and, and the players knowing it. Um, that uh, coach O is probably the closest we got right now. Um, just the way he shows it, wears it on his sleeve like that. I, you know, I I think Coach Malzahn loves his players too, but you don't you don't see that. He's he, it's not the same. You don't see it like you saw with Coach Dye. Um, you know, you don't see Coach Dye almost or Co- Co- Coach Malzahn almost breaking down in tears talking
2: to no. talking to his players. And Coach Malzahn doesn't players, sound no, like
3: no, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: Coach Malzahn doesn't sound like he's eat, trying to talk through a mouthful of uh, lochipoca syrup.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean when i when I think about LSU, Ed Orgeron sounds like LSU, right? Coach Dye sounds like all well,
2: absolutely. Albert yeah, absolutely. that's what I'm saying. I think if a coach sounded like that, like I said, like serpent, West mouth, Georgia. Yeah, I mean it, it. would be. I think today people it's would just duly. love it. I, yeah.
3: I, 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 George. Georgia's Dooley.
1: The only saving grace about Georgia's yeah. time that they got, uh, they got one of our two of our alumnus on their coaching staff, and it's Dooley because. I don't know if y'all know this, uh, you know, I wasn't even alive when this happened, but Auburn graduate Vince Dooley did win a national championship at Georgia on January the 1st, 1981.
2: Wow. That Is sounds that, like a long time I, ago. Did you, have
3: to, did you have to read that off a stone tablet? <laughs> I just had to transcribe it from
0: Sandstrip,
1: yes. Oh, no. Except, okay. You know, I do have an app. That was, guys, you won't believe this, that was Fourteen thousand three hundred and ninety-six days. Ago. <laughs> wow! <laughs> the last the last time Georgia did anything positive,
2: the game the game What's was broadcasted via smoke you? signal.
3: What is that in dog ears? <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's on like a
4: twelve something like that. <laughs> and I'm not crow. I'm not trying to run the script
1: on this, but there's some uh, here's some alternate history timelines for you. Go for it. Ben's Vince Dooley takes the Auburn job instead of Pat Dye. Mm-hmm. Pat Dye's the next head coach at Georgia. Yeah. Unless he's not, and Irk Russell, who is a legend at Georgia Southern and also four sport Auburn Letterman, takes the Georgia job. Pat Dye's the next coach at Alabama.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, di- that's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: And God, I, God bless Vince Dooley. You know, great coach. There's no way at that point in time in his career, after coaching for 20 years, he would have had the energy to do what Coach Dye did. Yeah. We're we're a totally different program if we have Dooley instead of Coach Die, and Alabama probably maintains dominance throughout the 80s if they get Coach Die. Well,
3: if I think go ahead, I was going to
0: say I, I think uh, I don't think Dye follows the bear because I think he knew what would have happened. So I yeah. think they had to get Perkins to do that. But as soon as they get rid of Perkins, they would not have hired Bill Curry. Dye. They would have hired Pat Dye. Pat Dye, wherever he was at that point, whether he's at yeah. Wyoming or
3: somewhere else. I don't. I don't. You know, if he had, takes the Georgia job, I don't think they're prying him away from Georgia. But, uh, but that's the only only way. Man. Mm-hmm. We don't talk enough about how wild it is that Coach Dow went out to
4: Wyoming. Yeah, there Coach is only, no wilder really thing here. Is, uh, is, <laughs> nobody ever talks about it. He was an All-American in Georgia. He didn't just play oh, college yeah. football. He was an All-American. two times. played with
1: uh, Grant Tarkinson.
4: First All-SEC. I mean, the parallels
3: between him and Dooley are, I mean, there's a reason those comparisons were always made. They were, yeah. you know, they were the same. They just coached at the opposite school is where they went.
4: What yeah, back after in he uh, left Georgia, he went. So he went to go play in the CFL for a couple of years, and then came back home to play on the Fort Benning Go Oh, to fulfill his uh, ROTC. Uh, That's requirement. right.
1: That's right. Don't you know that when Pat Dye was playing in Edmonton and then coaching in Wyoming, that he had the best
2: hunting experiences of oh. his life?
1: Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I swear, he did both those things just to go and kill deer.
3: <laughs> absolutely
2: uh i couldn't he, imagine him walking MCU into a store in laramie wyoming
3: of title too. he's like they got moose up there i can't imagine
2: him walking right, into I'm a thinking. store in laramie wyoming and being like well like taking him 25 <laughs> minutes to get his, his order out
4: like Wait, who is where is this guy from <laughs> josh oh, you man. might know more about it but what is the story about when he left wyoming i mean if you look online and he says, Oh, he never signed a contract. Right? Yeah, that's
3: what I was going to say. he never signed his contract up there.
4: How does, how does he, that
3: happen? He, he, I mean, it, it happens all the time. He Mike pulled the Tony Barbie contract. Yeah, the Barbie. <laughs> he pulls Barbie. <laughs> Only don't so sh- put them in the same sentence. Oh, he wasn't a shitty coach. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I I, like to think of coaches that never signed their contract, and Mike Price comes to mind for some strange yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yep. Oh, <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> but with that Broly, being maybe. said, um, I mean, the he, whole reason why Auburn got coached I was because uh, Dooley and Fob James, who uh, may or may not have been the governor at the time. He was still big in Alabama politics. He was. wasn't governor at the time. He was going to be governor again in the 90s. Yeah. But Dooley and Fob James, after after Fob called Dooley because they were teammates under Coach Jordan in the 50s and said no, Dooley recommended to Fob call Bobby Louder and tell him to call Pat Dye, that Pat Dye understood, he he understood how the workings were at Alabama and it would be, he would fit like a glove. And coach Dye saw that as he wasn't thinking about the potential of replacing coach Bryant. Although I I do actually think that coach Bryant had him pegged as the guy because coach Dye had won so much at East Carolina. He'd proven he could do it elsewhere. Um, this was his shot because Dooley went anywhere. He had Herschel Walker in 1980. You know, that will be a while longer. You know, Lord only knew if Coach Bryant was ever going to retire. So Coach Dash saw that as his shot, and he was so serious about getting the job that on his last interview before he did it, he went ahead and quit up there. So he he <laughs> did not. He, that wasn't a thing. I I don't know if he ever signed his contract at Wyoming. But he legit quit – he resigned as Wyoming's head coach before he ever actually had a firm offer to come to Auburn. Wow. Man, that could you so
2: imagine true. a 2020 coaching carousel in which a coach resigned before a firm offer was given to him by the other school? Twitter would explode. Explode.
3: And uh, the thing about that is no, nobody probably knew about that. No, five six years down the road. And, Whoever and, the beat writer is
2: for the for the Laramie Morning Herald or whatever the name of the paper is probably knew, and he, he couldn't get anybody to listen. Damn. By the way, Laramie, Wyoming, beautiful place. Everybody should go visit. I'm surprised Coach Dye left. Oh, I'd love to go. <laughs> Me too. Um, Let's take a break. Well, we can. I don't actually know what time is because the recording split into two recording. I got the whole show so far, but we've split into two recordings. Uh, we're somewhere around the 53 minute mark jack we come back we'll wrap it up and we're back somewhere around the fifty three minute mark <laughs> like I said um yeah we've kind of been sharing some stories and talked about you know where coach Dye ranks among auburn coaches and we you know he's he is if not the best top three best in Auburn, any sport, and no matter what sport, he's the most important. But would you say that the most similar story to right now to what Coach Dye did is what Bruce has done to Auburn basketball, where it was like completely defeated, no one cares, we're going to lose, to – yeah, we can beat anybody in America.
4: Doug Barfield. Tony Barbie is Doug Barfield. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Barfield is such a nice person. What so
2: yeah, yeah, a terrible t shirt that is. Tony Barbie not, is Doug Barfield.
3: That's not fair to Doug. That's not fair to Doug. Honestly, it's not. Because he, he's a nice guy. With great shirts. The <laughs> Doug Barfield era was great Auburn for polo either, shirts. And I'm pretty sure that old, old Tone is not a big fan of the old Auburn Tigers. Yeah. He hates him so much. He just does. not He can't even show up half the time. Yeah. yeah. Man, 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 man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say that Bruce is the closest thing, uh, that we've seen. Um, cause he's turned the program around. I mean, it's like instant turnaround too. I, and, and it, you know, we struggled in 80, uh, with coach die and we struggled the first couple of years with, with coach Pearl. Um, I don't even call that struggling. We just didn't see a, you know, we weren't in the tournament automatically. But, uh, you know, slowly but surely, we've we've gotten somewhere.
2: It's difficult to even think about losing eight in a row to Alabama. Like, it's difficult to even imagine that as a possibility. And that's with as good as Alabama has been with Coach Saban. Like, it's, even with Coach Saban, I would never imagine Auburn could lose eight in a row. It's
3: even harder to. Uh, imagine losing nine in a row. So, out of <laughs> 23
1: years uh, prior to Coach Dye's arrival, I think we beat them four times. Mm. Uh, yeah. We were four out of 23, I think. Auburn is 20 and 18 in the Iron Bowl since 1981. Yeah. I think that's right. You can check me on my math on that, but I know we have a winning record against Alabama since Coach Dye's
3: arrival. Yeah, and that that's just <laughs> amazing. having – that's despite having several of our worst years ever in that time period too. And uh, Alabama having, honestly, I would say an
0: even better when adjusting for difficulty and even better coach than coach Bryant.
2: Yeah.
3: Absolutely. Now, for, yeah. Ten, for 10 wow. straight years at this point, 10 of those 30, well, 40 years at this point,
2: I thought you were talking about Mike Shula, James at first. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, and, I mean, you know,
1: the most important thing about that, you know, the 89 postgame speech is a big deal, and the video clips of it are all over YouTube, but I, the 20-year retrospective, which I'm sure that James has somewhere on DVD, and like she it. probably does too. Ryan, I don't trust you to respect your history that much, and Crow, <laughs> you you just moved, so you probably got rid of a bunch of stuff. I don't have
4: a DVD um, player. Yeah,
1: fair enough. But, you know, it shows the full thing, like where he leads it, where they, where they have a team prayer after all of the, you know, uh, speech and everything. And Coach Dow lays it out what it is between us and Alabama that day. And it truly, like the record difference from before his arrival to after uh, really proves this. He said, this doesn't mean anything about us being better than them. All this means is that you can walk on the same side of the street as they do and hold your head up high because we're equal. And what he did, no one else, I'm convinced no one else, we talked about Dooley, no one else could have done that for Auburn. No one. We are not who we are. We cannot look the behemoth that is. You know, I hate saying it, but it's the truth, the behemoth that is the Alabama Crimson Tide dead in the eye and go every other year when you come to Jordan-Hare Stadium, you're going to get your ass kicked. Yeah. And they know it mm-hmm. because we're on equal footing with them now. Yep. And Coach. even during this run of Nick Saban, no one has been on more equal footing than them as a record than we have. And that's because of what Coach Dye did. And that's the most important part of that speech. And it, it I mean, spoke the truth that day, fellas.
3: He, he set a level of excellence. Um, he set he set a standard that despite whatever ups and downs we've had, the reason we've had the ups after the downs is because he set the standard of what, what, what the baseline for Auburn football is. Um, and, and I, and I think what the baseline for the athletic department is too, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, he. He is what it is to be Auburn. He, he is Auburn's Auburn Athletics. He is Auburn Athletics. We, don't, we aren't where we are. I mean, we've all said this a million different ways now without him. Um, and, you know, it sucks that he's gone. But. When you
2: imagine an Auburn hat, when you imagine an Auburn logo, <laughs> when you imagine an Auburn shirt, like chances are it's a Pat Dye era. Yeah. One of those things. Yep. Or is inspired by a Pat Dye era one of those things. Yeah, Josh is wearing one now. Yeah. Um, and, oh, man. Uh, it, would, ah, golly. It's it's beyond it's, words. It is. It's, it's going to miss him. Yeah. He's going to miss him a lot. He's such a part of it. He's, he's as much a part of Auburn as Samford Hall.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: So, and with that, I kind of want to end it because my computer's dying and I feel like We've said all there is to be said. Thanks for coming on the show, Josh and James.
3: Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you for having us.
2: Let's uh, let's do it again under more friendly circumstances. Cheers. So pour out something brown for Coach Dye. Bonos.
0: Love you, Coach.